Welcome to Watchmen on the Wall, a daily outreach of Southwest Radio Ministries and SWRC.com. Today, Eric Haley continues his look at the current spiritual state of America, and Greg Patton will be living in today's world. One week from today, our Clarity to the Chaos conference season officially gets underway in Niceville, Florida, February 17th and 18th. Speakers include Doug Stoffer, Dr. Larry Spargimino, Larry Stam, Greg Patton, Micah Van Huss, and Josh Davis. Reserve your seats today by visiting the events page of our website, swrc.com, or give us a call, 1-800-652-1144. We have a full schedule of conferences crisscrossing the country this year, so make plans to be with us at one of our upcoming events swrc.com and click on events. Here's our host, Dr. Larry Spargimino, and his guest, Eric Haley, continuing their look at the spiritual implosion that's going on right now in America and what you and I can do to stem the tide. We're back with Dr. Eric Haley. In our previous program, we were talking about his two books, Invertebrate America and It Starts at the Dinner Table. Dr. Haley recently retired from teaching in the public school system for some 26 years. Dr. Haley, thank you for being back on the program with us. Once again, I look forward to the second program. Thank you for having me. Well, Dr. Haley, you have a lot of experience working with youth, and I know you actually wrote a short play, The Salvation Game, that was published in Teen Power Magazine. You're an expert in that. So what words of advice would you have for parents with teenagers? And I know teenagers are going through a hard time, and so are their parents. So uh, talk to us about that a little bit. My best advice to parents is, Follow the instructions that the Bible gives us about raising our children. The Bible tells us to train up a child in the way they should go so that when they get old, they will not depart. Me personally, I was born in Blytheville, Arkansas, Mm -hmm. the Bible Belt. Mm -hmm. My father made us go to church. I talked to parents as a public school teacher, and they said, well, I don't want to force my faith on my children. So actually, it's your responsibility to raise them up in the Bible. Because if you don't raise them up, the world is going to raise them up. I was a beneficiary of loving, godly parents, not perfect parents, but they taught us about Jesus at an early age. That influenced every area of my life. I was also the beneficiary of the civil rights movement of the 50s and 60s. That influenced me. My heroes growing up was Thurgood Marshall, Mm -hmm. his landmark case, Brown versus the Board of Education made segregation illegal in the public school system. Of course, Martin Luther King, he was one of my heroes. Right. President John F. Kennedy, athletes John Carlos and Tommy Smith. They were world record holders and great track men. I love track and field. Mm. Remember in 1968, they did the protest at the 68 Olympics in Mexico City. But I experienced a lot of prejudice in the South. In Arkansas, that's why my dad moved out to Compton, California in the early 60s. So there were more opportunities and less discrimination, he thought, in California. And so I'll leave to play the part. I've been reading recently about one of my favorite people, Jesse Owens. 
He won, I guess, four Olympic golds. Of course, he was an African-American, I think, from Alabama. What he did, I thought, was so wonderful because he actually proved Adolf Hitler's racial superiority to be wrong. And when he was running and jumping in the Olympics in Berlin, Hitler was there. And the second guy, his name was Long, he was a German, of course, and Jesse Owens beat him, but this man actually embraced Owens right on the stadium floor. Jesse Owens said, that took a lot of courage, you know, to do that right in front of Hitler, and the stormtroopers were there, and the Nazi flags, the swastikas were flapping in the breeze. Owens said, you know, I never shook the hand of Adolf Hitler, and by the way, when I got back to America, I was never asked to go and shake the hand of the president. <laughs> so that was so true. We've come a long way, but I think uh, I would agree with you, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. and his niece, Alveda King. They're just, as far as I'm concerned, she's she's such a giant for you know pro-life issues and moral issues, and I think we always have to remember that God loves us, God made us. I have a, done a lot of work in Pakistan. Uh, I pastor a Chinese church in Oklahoma City. We're basically people. We're fallen sinners whom Jesus loves, and he wants to save. He wants us all to be together in heaven, and I'm so excited that I can be part of that. That's the message I preach. There's one Lord, one faith, one Savior. I really appreciate talking to you, sir. It's a great, a great honor. We're all members of the human race. The Bible tells us in Acts 17, we all come from one blood. Yes. And then the Bible tells you in heaven, there will be representation of every tongue, tribe, and yes. nation. So if someone's prejudiced out there, you're probably not born again, and you're probably not going to heaven. <laughs> and we need to get rid of this yeah. one race that's superior to all the other races. And God used, like you say, Jesse Owen to prove to Hitler the Aryan society, blonde hair, blue-eyed people are not the superior race. God right. loves everybody. He's no respecter of persons. Right. And he tells us, even in marriage, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers, right. not other races. Right. You have to be of the faith. Otherwise, your kids are confused. Yeah. When you raise I just praise the Lord for, for the fact that, actually, my wife is Chinese. We've been married 60 years. Five of Jennifer's uncles were pastors, and they were all imprisoned by Mao. And, of course, before we were married, she witnessed to me, and she was telling me about her uncles. And I thought, what do these men have that will give them so much courage to face the machine gun, the beheading? So she actually led me to the Lord. The Lord sent her from China to New York, <laughs> where we were, and I was amazed how simple the plan of salvation is if we simply realize that we are sinners and we need the love of God and he will just come and save us. He loves us and, and it doesn't matter if you're black, white, whatever color, we're all, we're like everybody else. We have needs, we need security, we want a good education for our kids. We want love and acceptance, even like the Muslims in Pakistan. They really want to know who is the real God, and I praise the Lord for that. I think it's very important that we make a distinction between false religions and Christianity. Mm -hmm. I mean, I love my Muslim brothers, and I went to school with a lot of them, and even as a public school teacher, I've seen the influx of Muslim immigrants. Yes. I would understand, even though they use the word Jesus, they call him Asa. Yes. Uh, but 
say he's the son of God. Well, the Christian Bible definitely says Jesus Christ is the son of God. Right. And so they believe he is a prophet, but he's more than a prophet. He's Emmanuel. Amen. God with us. Under the Bush's influence, I remember George Bush, he was, uh, he was kind of a neophyte Christian. He said, well, Islam mm. and Christianity is the same. <laughs> right. He even lived in Compton, where I grew up. George Bush did. He's not a theologian, but we can help <laughs> right. him out. And all the politicians, Islam is not the same as Christianity. Right. Jesus is the Son of God. They don't acknowledge Jesus as the Son of God. Right. But now God is saving many Muslims because he's coming to them in visions and dreams. Yes. So that's, that's scriptural, so I know it's true. So many of them who have been saved in that way, they actually die for the faith. I mean, this is not just a liver quiver like a, an emotional high. This is the real thing. I'm so blessed that God is reaching out. So what has been the biggest challenge after you finished writing these two books of yours? First of all, you always got to stay humble when you do things like <laughs> Right. Because it's easy to get the big head. Also, the biggest challenge is using social media to get the word out, because if people invest in these books, a lot of people are suffering, and buying a book, that might mean they don't eat lunch that day, or put gas in their car. So the biggest challenge is getting the word out and hoping that this book leads millions or billions of people to get saved. Yes. We can undo the evil. Jesus said he came to destroy the works of the devil. That's basically the purpose of these books to destroy the, the lies of the devil and get people saved. Amen. So would you say uh, your great satisfaction in writing these books was personally knowing that you're speaking for the Lord? Yes, because I remember growing up, there was a, a Hispanic teacher by the name of Mr. Perez. He said, you have a gift for writing. And he told me, don't worry about the punctuation. We can fix that later. He said, just get your ideas down on paper. Mm. And he entered one of my poems in a poem contest, and I won. The poem was called Lost World of Utopia. That, that poem won the contest, but they gave me the, the third degree because they said, sixth graders don't write like this. And I told them, I do. <laughs> <laughs> right. They tried to see if I plagiarized it, and they didn't. The poem was called Lost World of Utopia. What is the world of utopia fade? Not in the darkness of the shadows, not in the shade. The non-entities of the earth are off its pace. The world of utopia is lost in space. So he inspired me to write, and I've been writing ever since. Wow. Praise the Lord. Well, I really love a lot of the points that you make. I'm looking at page 38 of Invertebrate America. You raised a question. You say, should Christians be involved in politics, voting, running our government? And then you say, according to Jesus and the Apostle Paul, we should be involved in government affairs. What was Jesus' response when the scribes and Pharisees tried to trick him when they asked him if it was lawful to pay taxes? Jesus, knowing their evil intentions, simply took a coin and asked them whose picture was on it. They replied, Caesar's. That Jesus told them to render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's, that refers to the government, and to God, the things that are God. So when you pay your taxes, you're being a responsible citizen. Tell us a little bit about the civil duty that we have about the civil government. And then also where Peter says in Acts 5.29, we must obey God 
rather than man. I think that's very significant. We definitely should start with prayer. God tells us to pray for our leaders. Morality does matter for our leaders. And if Christians have time or have money, they should be running for public office. So we make laws that line up with the Bible, that agree with the Bible. I personally had my brother, one of my older living brothers, Lawrence, was a police officer for 11 years. Mm. My uncle, Florida Haley, was one of the first black sheriffs in Mississippi County. Mm. And we should obey the law. God created government. It's one of the seven dispensations. Government is used to control evil. Good people don't, shouldn't have to worry about the police. Unfortunately, right. there's a small percentage that are on the police force that abuse their power. Yes. But overall, I think the majority of police officers, people in law enforcement, are decent people, and we should pray for them, too. They have a hard job to do, and you can't please everybody. But pray for them and run for public office, vote the bad ones out, vote the good ones in. I would agree with you, and I love the points that you make in Invertebrate America about Israel. You say, why did God reestablish Israel after she had been dormant for 1,878 years? Because God is not through with Israel yet. And you make some really good points about God's faithfulness. If God is not faithful to his covenant promises that he made to Abraham in Genesis chapter 15 regarding Israel, how can we have faith and believe John 3.16? Talk to us about your understanding of the place of Israel in the end times. Israel are God's chosen people. God made a sovereign decision. He chose them to be a paradigm of what a godly nation would look like and be like. In Deuteronomy chapter 28 through 31, he told Israel the blessings, first of all, and the cursings that would come on them right. if they went after other gods. The Abrahamic covenant said God was going to send someone like Moses, and if you bless the Jews, God would bless you individually and as a nation. And the biggest Achilles heel to our president is that Condoleezza Rice was an advisor to the Bushes, mm-hmm. their Presbyterian faith, and the leaders of that faith said the church was the new Israel. The church mm. is not the new Israel. Right. So some of our government policies have kind of neutralized Israel in favor of the Muslims. But if you bless the Jews, Genesis 12, 3, everyone should read that. Yes. And our president and our policies should favor Israel. They are God's chosen people. And God has to finish his plan of salvation to redeem all of Israel back into himself. That's the 70th week of Daniel. Read Daniel chapter 9, 24 through 27. God is not through with the Jews yet. That's what the tribulation, all that's all about, the seven years of history on this earth. Jesus is coming back. He's going to rapture the church out of here. He's going to deal with Israel and judge and redeem them. Please, my Jewish friend, my Hebrew friend, Israelite, accept Jesus Christ, because mm-hmm. there's going to be a second holocaust. Mm-hmm. talks about it in Zechariah. Two-thirds of the Jews are going yes. to be killed. If you thought the first Holocaust was bad, but during the seven-year tribulation period, two-thirds of the Jews are going to be killed on this planet. I'm not hateful to the Jews. That's what's in the Bible. Right. If God said it, it's going to happen. So I plead, I plead with you, accept Jesus Christ, mm. my Jewish friends, wow. so we can save you. God gave us the Bible through Jewish writers. He gave us the Savior. Jesus was a Jew. Quit worrying about race. And understand Jesus said he's the way, the truth, and the life. 
the way, not a way, right. the way. Right. And that's how things will come together and things are going to climax with Jesus coming back, taking his church off the earth and redeeming the Jewish people. And we'll be ushered into the 1,000-year reign right. on this earth with Jesus ruling from Jerusalem Amen. and David being the mayor of the city of Jerusalem. Amen. There are several pluses of invertebrate America, but I'm looking at page 75. You give a brief history of, quote, Christian anti-Semitism. There's been such a, quote, Christian history of anti-Semitism, not only in the Catholic Church, but also with many Protestants. And then we have replacement theology to that. It gets horrible. America even existing today is how we treat Israel. Every time one of our presidents made Israel give up land for peace, a storm came in, yes. Katrina, or economy, yeah. and every time America does something against Israel, something bad happens. I'll give you a perfect example. When President Barack Obama interfered with their elections, what happened ever since then, things have been interfering. The Russians, the Chinese have been interfering in our elections. Yes. And you see the debacle that happened with us right. over who won. Well, what goes around comes around. Whatever you do to the Jews is going to come back and curse our nation. Trump had a good slogan, make America great again. But the only thing that's going to make America again right now is we repent and go back to the biblical principles that our nation was started on, originated. Amen. Well, we've been visiting with Dr. Eric Haley, the pastor and author in California. He's the author of two books, Invertebrate America, and It Starts at the Dinner Table. Invertebrate America by Eric Haley is a wake-up call to those who are searching for the truth and purpose of this world's existence. Order your copy today when you call 1-800-652-1144. That's 1-800-652-1144. Or you can order this book on our website, swrc.com. Thank you for supporting Watchmen on the Wall. When you purchase a book or DVD, you are helping this ministry. When you attend a conference, when you invite friends and family to tune in, you are spreading the good news that God is still on the throne and prayer changes things. All this month, we have a special section on our website full of deeply discounted resources. Check it out, swrc.com. Greg Patton, one of the speakers at this year's Clarity to the Chaos conferences, looks at King David and answers was he a good guy or a bad guy? In today's installment of Living in Today's World. So I want to talk about David today. Was he a good man or a bad man? And at what time? We know that God loved him very much. We know that he loved God very much and wanted to serve God. He did serve God. He was known as a man after God's own heart. If that's true, how do you get in trouble like David got in trouble? We know for a fact, living in today's world can be tough. One day, hot for God, on fire, and the next day, hiding under a juniper tree. It can happen to the most solid Christian listening to the program today. Through sin and fear, we can be on the run from the devil. Well, what in the world could have happened to David? Because he did the unthinkable. He was God's man, wasn't he? 
Trials, tragedy, trouble. With the memories of war and victory tucked away deep inside of his head, David entered the royal chamber. His life was drawing to a close, and he knew it. And he was not often wrong. As a youth, he had learned to listen to God's voice deep within his heart. Some may have dismissed his relationship with Yahweh, thinking that he was eccentric and deluded by his own inner longings. You know, but David was different. He'd spent a lifetime reading and studying God's words spoken to Moses and the prophets. As a shepherd boy tending his dad's sheep, and then as a young warrior forced to live away from those he loved, David learned that God desired his fellowship. Even though his life had displayed great courage and faith, it also was dotted with the memory of failure and regret. In David's latter years, the prophet Nathan remained at his side. He was God's voice resounding in David's ears. Nathan knew almost all there was to know about David. He'd witnessed the loving moments of David's life, the time when Israel's king of promise had stood valiantly before the people and accepted all those accolades of the monarchy. After David's sin with Bathsheba, it was Nathan who carried God's judgment to the king. David's heart was crushed. Purify me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Those were the words that brought restoration to David's wayward heart. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Don't cast me away from your presence, and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Psalm 51, 7. 10, 11. David's plea for mercy is the heart. Acts 13, 22. His prayer was reflective of a humble heart, and he had it. Having a heart for God is a theme that is woven like a thread throughout David's life, first as a youth and then as a man. David loved Almighty God, not just because it was the right thing to do or because it seemed politically correct. After all, David was Jewish. Jewish men were taught to love and worship Yahweh. Instead, David loved the Lord out of a heartfelt passion. Now, as an aging ruler, David was about to perform one of his last deeds given to him by God, outline the building of the temple. He had hoped to build the temple himself, but God had chosen his son Solomon to oversee that. The word of the Lord came to David, saying, You have shed much blood and have waged great wars, and you shall not build a house to my name, because you have shed so much blood. Your son Solomon shall build a house for my name, and he shall be my son, and I will be his father, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom over Israel forever. First Chronicles 22. Now, while David had longed to build a place where God could be worshipped, he did not hesitate in doing what God said, commanded. Obedience to God was the cornerstone of his life. If you could write your epitaph, what would it say today? There's nothing more honorable or noble than what... God said about David, he's a man after my own heart. It was not that David's life was free of conflict. It was not. He knew what it felt like to be hungry and lonely. He spent years running from a power-hungry king who sought to kill him at every turn. And through it all, David remained confident. God will fulfill the promises he made to him as a young shepherd boy. One thing I've asked from the Lord that I shall seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to meditate in his temple. For in the day of trouble, he will conceal me in his tabernacle. In the secret place of his tent, he will hide me. He will lift me up on a rock. Psalm 27, 4 and 5. And that's exactly what God did for David. My friend, when our lives are focused on Jesus Christ, the burdens of the day will not seem so weighty. 
when our hearts long to be full of Him and not of ourselves, the perceived needs and fears of our generation, they're going to pale in comparison to His great love and affection toward us. So how do we do it? How do we become men and women after God's own heart? There are several qualities. David made fellowship with God a priority. Fellowship with God was his first concern, and this includes an intimacy with God where a person knows and understands God's love for him or her. In Psalm 16, 8, David writes, I have set the Lord continually before me. And then David placed his complete trust in the Lord. Even as he lay down at night, hiding in the wilderness, he was able to say, I love you, Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock on whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold, Psalm 18, 1 and 2. David was consumed with a passion to obey God. Obedience is a cornerstone of all Christian faith, my friend. Don't ever forget that. And then David had a spirit of humility. Even though he was a handsome, courageous, and a national hero, David continued to give God all the glory, all the credit for his life. His words were not outward gestures delivered so others could hear. It was the very cry of David's heart that God noticed. Pride always will set itself in opposition to humility. But David wrote, You also have given me the shield of your salvation, and your right hand upholds me, and your gentleness makes me great. Therefore I will give thanks to you among the nations, O Lord, and I will sing praises to your name. Psalm 18, 35, and 49. And then David had a servant's heart. Do you? He never lost the ability to see himself as a servant of Almighty God, and he never forgot the life he lived as a shepherd boy. The memory of those years was a solace to his heart whenever he desired to rise up and take matters into his own hands. The intimacy he shared with God was more valuable to David than all the kingdoms of the earth laid at his feet. I believe with all my heart that you cannot lead until you learn to follow. This is the principle that Jesus taught his disciples. Jesus told them that whoever among you wanted to become great must first become a servant. Matthew 20, 26. Is there a Goliath or a Saul in your life today? God will deliver you. But first open up the recesses of your heart and accept God's great love and forgiveness, my friend. Turn your heart toward him today and tell him that you want to be like David. You want to have a heart that is turned toward him and nothing or no one else. When you do this, God's going to bless your life with an abundance of his mercy and immeasurable peace, and you will have great victory in Jesus, my friend, every time. And as I say throughout my messages, whether on the radio or in person, living for the Lord Jesus Christ, being saved, it's a wonderful way to live, a fantastic way to die. God bless, my friend. The book, Invertebrate America, gives an overview of America's declining moral and spiritual values from a biblical perspective. It explains God's impending judgment on a nation that calls evil good and good evil. Order your copy of Invertebrate America today when you call 1-800-652-1144. That's 1-800-652-1144. Lord willing, we'll be back here Monday, ready to once again bring clarity to the chaos. Don't miss a moment of Watchmen on the Wall. Download our SWRC mobile app or subscribe to our daily Watchmen on the Wall podcast. Head into the weekend, my friends, with the encouragement that God is still on the throne and prayer changes things. 
Watchman on the Wall is a production of Southwest Radio Ministries and is supported by faithful listeners like you. Please visit our website, swrc.com. That's swrc.com.